Great to be with you this morning. You um, probably are recognizing now that we're making our way through this letter of Paul that was written to the church in the city of Ephesus many, many uh, centuries ago. But of course, it's God's word, so it's as relevant today as it was then. So this morning we come to chapter three, and we're going to be looking at the first, um, what is it, the first 13 verses of chapter three. So I'm going to read them to you, and then we're going to come back and um, walk through a few, few of the passages, and then we're going to focus today on one very specific passage and a, kind of a, a specific a topic. So let me read to you uh, chapter one or chapter three, verses one through 13. So Paul is writing, he says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. As I have already written, written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless or unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in him and through him. We may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are his glory, for his glory. So Paul is explaining now, maybe you remember in in the first chapter, he's, he's talking all about the wealth and the riches that we have in Christ. We looked at that in the second chapter. He's talking about that still a bit further, how we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive together in Christ. And then he begins to um, unfold this, this mystery of how God has brought all people together in Christ. And where there was formerly a, a sort of a division in humanity between Jews and Gentiles in Christ God has brought us all into his uh, household. And now Paul is continuing to talk to them about that. But here he gets uh, a little bit personal. He's talking about uh, the, the fact of his own calling and, and very specifically what that calling was about. So there's, 
There's three things that he says here that I want to just touch on really quickly, and then we're going to go back and we're going to look at, uh, like I said, more specifically, the way he introduced himself. But let's look, uh, first of all, I want you to look with me at verse 4. He says in verse 4, he says, in reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets, this mystery. So here it is. The mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. So here, here's the mystery. In the Old Testament, what Paul is saying is in the Old Testament, it, it was never really revealed that God was going to create a new people. So in the Old Testament, you have uh, God, you know, he brings together a nation uh, through this man, Abraham, and his son, Isaac, and his son, Jacob. Then there's the 12 patriarchs, and they become the nation of Israel. They become the people of God. And so most of the Old Testament is focusing on them and their relationship with God. There are occasional references to Gentiles uh, somehow participating and somehow being blessed by that. But the Old Testament never made it really that clear that God was actually going to take the Jews and the Gentiles and he was going to make a whole new humanity uh, and bring them together in Christ. So that's the mystery. Paul says that mystery wasn't previously known. I'm telling you that that is what God is now doing. Now, Gentiles, for those of you that maybe don't know that word, Gentile is just, it's a word that refers to the non-Jewish nations or the people outside of the covenant. So basically refers to everybody in the world, but the nation of Israel. And, And of course, in the mind of many of the Jewish people at this time, They sort of looked at the outsiders as, uh, they they looked at them negatively. And they looked at them as unclean and unholy. And they began to develop a mentality like, well, God surely couldn't love the Gentiles because they're just a bunch of filthy sinners. And yet the fact was God did love the Gentiles. And he was going to show his love for the Gentiles through Christ And then by bringing the Gentiles and the Jews together to create this one new man. So that's the mystery that Paul mentions here. That's the first point. Secondly, and this is more uh, specifically about Paul personally, and and I want to speak this word to any of you here that are in a, a position of pastoring or leading in church ministry, I want you to hear this word. Paul says this, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. This is such an important thing for anyone in church leadership to remember and anyone who's aspiring to church leadership to realize that we become the servants of Christ in this capacity by a gift from God. You see, this is not something that you just decide you want to do. Now, in some 
circles, I guess, still today, I would imagine is true. But in certain periods in church history where the church had um, a sort of a dominant place in the culture and um, it, it was seen as uh, something that people would aspire to, you know, you might be, um, you, you know, you might want to become a doctor or maybe you want to become a, a lawyer or, or maybe you would become like a clergyman. And people sometimes would aspire to that because they thought that was a prestigious uh, position in society or because they had a family connection. Somebody knew the bishop and so they were able to get in on it. And all of these crazy things have happened throughout the history of the church. And subsequently, you have lots of people that ended up in ministry throughout the years that were never gifted to do it. They were never called by God to do it. And oftentimes, they weren't even really believers They might have gone through the motions, but they didn't have any personal faith in Jesus. And that's one reason why uh, the the church has been such a mess throughout its history. But Paul is saying here that he is in the position that he's in because of the gift of God's grace that was given to him. So it's a gifting. It's a calling. And, and that's the primary thing. You can go to uh, get a theological education. That's fine if God calls you to do that. But that's not sufficient. What is absolutely necessary is the grace, the gift, the calling of God. And then Paul just adds to it. He says that the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. The ministry of the gospel must be a ministry that is done in power. And it has to be done in supernatural power. And it has to be done in power that you don't naturally possess. And if it's not done in that power, it's ineffective. And so this is, is just a word. And I'm, I'm speaking this to myself as well, because this is my role, right? I'm in, I'm in the ministry. And I need the power of God. And I thank God for the gift of God in my life. But I also recognize I continually need his power. You know, as Emma said something there, you know, that I've spoken thousands of times and all of that. I I actually have. I literally have spoken thousands of times. But I never get up and open my Bible to speak to anybody without saying, God, if you don't show up and help me do this, this is just going to be a big waste of time. Because we need the power of God. I need it. You need it. We all need it. And so Paul just acknowledges that here, and I wanted us to see that. That's the second thing. The third thing is in verse 10. Now, he's talking about this mystery, as we said. He's talking about how God brought a new humanity together in Christ. And in verse 10, he says, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm. So the rulers and the authorities that he's talking about here are the angelic beings. And what Paul is saying is that it's through the church that God is showing his wisdom to these spiritual powers. And sometimes the scripture is talking about the spiritual powers in a positive sense. We would call them angels. Sometimes it's talking about the spiritual powers in a negative sense. We would call them demons. This is a reference to those dark powers here. And God is, is showing them his wisdom through the church. Now, again, like I hinted at a moment ago, the church has quite a checkered history, really. Uh, church history is uh, full of ups and downs. 
you know, seasons of, of light and wonder and glory and seasons of uh, darkness and confusion. And, and yet through it all, God has been at work. I read a quote, uh, actually, I, read, I think it was this morning, I, I read a quote on Twitter, um, G.K. Chesterton, uh, there's somebody that tweets G.K. Chesterton, of course, he uh, passed off the scene 100 years ago, but he's still tweeting uh, miraculously. So I got a good tweet from G.K. Chesterton this morning. But, but this is what it said, and I thought it fits perfectly with what I'm talking about here. He said, I do believe in Christianity, and my impression is that a system must be divine which has survived so much insane mismanagement. I thought, that is a good perspective on the church. Yes, God has all of this, you know, these people mismanaging his church, but the church keeps going. It it survives from generation to generation. And and of course, many times it thrives as well. So those are the three things I wanted just to touch on because I want us to keep the continuity because we're studying through this book. So I don't want to just take one passage and focus on that uh, entirely. I wanted to, for us to get the flow so when uh, Dominic comes up later and teaches, we'll see that, you know, everything's connected here. But I want to go back to the very first verse. And this is the verse that I want to focus on uh, with you today. And notice what it is. It's just an introduction. Paul introduces himself. And notice how he does it. The prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the prisoner of Christ. Paul saw himself as a prisoner of Christ. Now, why did he say that? Well, he was writing this letter from prison. We don't necessarily realize that sometimes. Five of Paul's letters were written from inside prison. So Paul was a prisoner, and he's literally a prisoner. But as you can see in the letter itself, remember when we began on Sunday looking at the letter Remember how Paul opened the letter. Now, think about this. Here's, here's a guy in prison. Prison's no fun, especially a Roman prison at that time. Um, but how does he open the letter? He opens the letter with, blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Later on, at the end of this chapter, he will say, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think. This is a guy in prison, extolling the Lord talking about the greatness of God, God's power, how God could do anything, and, and he can do more than we can ever imagine. Uh, Paul also wrote uh, the letter to the Philippians from prison. Listen to a few statements from the letter to the Philippians. He said in chapter four, he said, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And then he wrote, be anxious for nothing. Don't be worried about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And then listen to this one. This one is a kicker. Um, He says, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. And I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God bless you from my prison cell. And that's, that's, look at the, the joy 
and the rejoicing of this man. How? This is the question. How is it that someone in this condition could still be encouraged? And not just be encouraged themselves, but how could such encouragement, such praise, and such contentment flow from a person in these kinds of circumstances? Now, it's also important to realize about Paul's circumstance. Paul was in trouble. He was in prison not because of anything he had done. It wasn't a sin or a crime as we would think of a crime, that got Paul put in prison. So Paul was unjustly accused and put in prison, but he was put in prison basically for preaching the gospel. That was his uh, crime. It was preaching the gospel. And what this shows us indirectly is that the reality is for God's people Even when we're doing everything right, we can still find ourselves in trouble. We can still find ourselves in times of difficulty because this is the reality. Maybe you remember if you were here on Sunday morning, I I just mentioned how um, someone said the Old Testament promised prosperity, the New Testament promised adversity. And, And there's a lot of truth to that. There, there was that Old Testament covenant that promised the blessing on the people. But when you come to the New Testament, uh, it's a different story. And the promises are, we're going to suffer for our faith in Christ. We're going to be persecuted. We're, we're going to be slighted. We're going to be passed by. Those are common things that happen. Now, unfortunately, many people today, and this isn't new, it's been going on uh, for a long time, but many people are given a false concept of the Christian life uh, by, by ministries that are trying to attract people through what, what they call a positive message. And so they'll, they'll promise people all of these things, you know, just come to Jesus and, and he's going to give you all kinds of uh, prosperity, basically. It's not uncommon uh, in the States uh, to come across uh, advertisements at times where a new church is coming into a community and they might send something out, you know, you get it in the post and they're telling you, uh, you know, come to our church. We're a contemporary church designed with you in mind. You're going to hear encouraging messages, uh, communicating proven principles for successful living. You're never going to hear anything negative. I'm not going to talk about the sin word or certainly never going to mention the H-E-L-L word or any of that, you know. We're just going to tell you that Man, you can be successful. That's not the gospel. That's not the message of the New Testament. Paul was a prisoner, and he was a prisoner in good standing. He was a prisoner of Jesus. Now, this is the key. This is the key to dealing with his situation. How did Paul handle this? How was it that Paul was able, as we've already seen, to maintain joy? How was it that he had the peace that passed understanding? How was it that he could encourage everyone else like he did? At the, remember the very last verse that we read, verse 13? He says, he says to them, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my suffering for you. 
They're, they're not in prison. They're discouraged. He's in prison and he's encouraged. So he says, hey, don't be discouraged. I'm doing okay. And of course, he's doing okay. This is why. He says, I am the prisoner, not of Nero. Although many would look at him and say, he's the prisoner of Nero. Nero was the emperor at the time. And it was under the authority of the emperor that they arrested Paul and put him in prison. So he could have easily thought, you know, I'm in this prison because of Nero. Nero, that, that heathen emperor. You know, that's why I'm here. But Paul looked beyond Nero. And Paul knew this. He knew that God is sovereign. See, when we say God is sovereign, what we're really saying is that God is really ultimately in control. He's in control of everything. Doesn't mean that he causes everything to happen. Some people take sovereignty, I think, to uh, an unbiblical extreme. But what sovereignty does mean is that God is in control. So Paul could say, I'm not the prisoner of Nero. I'm the prisoner of Christ. I'm here because God has allowed me to be here. Now, Paul could have easily uh, just walked himself down memory lane for encouragement. Paul knew from experience that Christ could deliver him from prison because he had already been delivered from prison on an occasion. When he went into Philippi and he was arrested and he was put in jail and he was beaten, him and Silas, they were singing praise to God at midnight and an earthquake came and the, the, the doors of the jail cell broke open and they were free to go. Paul knew that, that God could do that. He, he knew the story of Peter, how Peter had been arrested after James was put to death and they were planning to kill Peter. Herod was planning to kill Peter. They put him in prison, but an angel came and released Peter. Paul knew all of that. So he knew that it's no problem for God to get me out of this prison, just like he got me out of prison previously, or, or just as he got Peter out of prison. Um, so he, he just figured, well, the Lord must have a plan for me to be here. How, how could that be? You know, this is a problem so many people have today. So many people today challenge God, reject God, because They don't want to believe in a God that would ever allow anybody to be in a circumstance that's uncomfortable or or not the optimal circumstance. We hear this kind of stuff all the time. I will never believe in a God who would allow somebody to go through something like that. Well, listen, if you're going to believe in God, that's the God you have to believe in. There's only one God, and he does allow those things. Because guess what? He knows more than we do. He knows more than you know. He knows more than I know. And he knows what's best. So, but the question is, well, why would God allow such a thing to happen? Why does God allow his people to go into prison? Paul's in a literal prison cell, but there are many circumstances in life that we could look at and, and have a, you know, we, we could understand it in the terms of being in prison. I've used this term about my own experience at times. I'm in the prison of such and such. It's basically you're in a situation that's unpleasant, uncomfortable, and you can't get out of it. Why would God allow 
such a thing? Well, number one, one of the reasons why God allows it is because it brings us, believe it or not, it brings us a better and a a better understanding of God, a clearer picture of who he is. It forces us to draw closer to him. And so we receive more revelation of who he is. And there are many examples in scripture of that kind of thing happening. And Paul's a great example right here. Had Paul not been in prison, we might not have the New Testament that we know and love today. As I said earlier, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 2 Timothy, and Philemon would all be missing, probably, from our Bibles if Paul was not in prison, because he wrote them in prison. Paul was a busy man. He was on the road. He was planting churches, sharing the gospel, traveling everywhere, doing the work of the ministry. When would he find the time to sit down and pen five epistles? Well, God says, I want to get these words out to every generation from this time forward. So how am I going to do that? Well, I'm going to slow Paul down a little bit. We'll let him go to prison for a while and uh, he'll write these letters. How many of you have ever been blessed by Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 2 Timothy, or Philemon? Anyone ever get a blessing out of that? Well, thank God for letting Paul to go to prison because that's why you, you can get blessed. But you see, this is quite often the case. Our greatest revelation comes in the midst of our greatest trials. It's really, really true. It is absolutely true. In the scripture, we see it. Uh, Joseph, I'm reading right now in my morning reading time, I'm reading uh, Genesis. And I'm reading the story of Joseph right now. There at the end of Genesis. One of the greatest stories ever. I just absolutely love the story of Joseph. And maybe you remember, I'll refresh your memory really quickly. Joseph is the favorite son of his father, Jacob. His brothers hate him. They are jealous of him. So they take him and they sell him into slavery. And for 13 years, he's in slavery and he's in prison. And at the end of 13 years, he finally is released And he becomes basically the prime minister of the greatest nation in the world at the time, Egypt. And and once he comes through that long season of suffering, literally in prison, um, he's married, he has children, and he names one of his children Ephraim. And Ephraim means this, fruitful. And he named him that because he said this, God has made me fruitful in my affliction. Affliction can bring fruit. We see in the life of a man named Job. Now, Job is the proverbial sufferer, right? He's the person where if you want to think of the worst possible situation anybody could be in, you might say, well, man, they are in like a Job situation. Job had it bad. I've, I've sometimes felt like Job. And then I read Job. And I'm like, oh, no, never mind. I, I, I'm not Job. <laughs> Job had it way worse than, than I did. But here's the thing with Job. You know what happened with Job? Job's suffering brought him what I'm talking about. It brought him a greater revelation of God. And he goes through all of this suffering. And 
all of this confusion, you know, his friends come and they, they think they're helping him and they're just making everything more miserable. And Job is just saying, you know, if I could just see God and talk to him and, you know, tell him how I'm feeling and, and all of that. So there's a point where the Lord actually appears to Job. At the end of the story, the Lord appears to Job and it's almost like the Lord appears to him and just says, okay, Job, you got a bunch of questions. Here I am. Go ahead. And Job has nothing to say. And this is what he actually did say, though. He said, I heard of you with my ear, but now I see you with my eye and I repent in dust and ashes. In other words, uh, Job said, God, now that I, I just have a clear picture of who you are, I don't need to ask you any questions. It doesn't matter anymore. And so the revelation of God comes clear to Job through his suffering. Uh, Moses, he's in exile when he meets God in a burning bush. He's in a situation that was less than ideal. Uh, the prophet Isaiah, it was when a, a, a crisis struck the nation, the king of uh, Judah. His name was Uzziah, a great king. When Uzziah died, Isaiah says, it was then that I saw the Lord. And so, listen, if you're suffering, this is what you need to know. You need to know that God is sovereign. Now, remember, Paul is in prison, not because of anything he's done. Now, Let's, let's be honest here. Sometimes we can bring our own suffering. Uh, we, we, we can cause our own suffering because of disobedience to God. You know, if you disobey God in a, a variety of different ways, you can bring suffering on yourself. You can create your own misery by disobedience. God says, there are certain things God says don't do. And we might say, well, I don't care what God says. I'm going to do it anyway. Well, Don't be surprised if you don't find yourself in uh, some sort of a prison. But now that I mentioned that, let's just move on from that. But, But let's just think for a minute about those who, I mean, you feel kind of like Job. Because Job's friends thought, Job, you surely must have done something wrong. Because nobody could suffer like this who's innocent. And Job said, no, as far as I know, Job didn't think he was sinless, but he just knew that you know, as far as I can tell, I'm, I'm, I'm not that bad. <laughs> as a matter of fact, God said Job was the most righteous man in the world. So I want to just say this to those of you that might be suffering. You might be in what you see as a prison. And there, there's no obvious sinful reason why you're there. Why are you there? You're there because of God's sovereignty. You're there because God knows better than you that this is a place that you need to be. And Paul not only saw his suffering as um, because of the sovereignty of God, but he saw another reason in it. And notice what he said. He said, for you Gentiles. You see, Paul understood that his suffering was actually beneficial for other people. And this is a hard thing about suffering to get your head around, but it's a reality. When people suffer, 
It gives them a capacity to help others like they could not help them before. Now, Paul, he writes about that to the Philippians. Listen to what he says. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the things, he's talking about his imprisonment, the things that happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So the Philippians, like the Ephesians, they were concerned. Paul's in prison. This is terrible. Paul says, listen, no, this has actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. It has become evident to the whole palace guard. He's talking about Caesar. He's at Caesar's palace. The whole palace guard and all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brothers in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul said, I'm a prisoner of Christ for the sake of you Gentiles. And right there he gives an example that his imprisonment was actually furthering the gospel because he was able to share the gospel with the members of Caesar's household and those who were observing Paul in prison, they were, they were emboldened. They looked at Paul and thought, well, if Paul can go to prison for Jesus, I can surely get out of bed and live for Jesus. And you see, that's what happens. My prisons have given many opportunities to minister to people I would not have otherwise been able to minister to. Now, some of you know me, some of you know my story, some of you don't know me and you don't know my story. I had two and a half decades of ME. And if you know anything about ME, it is one horrible condition. And it's still a a condition that's a mystery. Nobody really even to this day knows what or why it is what it is. But it is, in a sense, it is, you know, from my experience, it was hell on earth. And it was 25 years of experiencing that. And I could stand up here for hours and tell you all kinds of stories about the deepest depressions and filled with anxiety and body racked with pain and weakness like I didn't, couldn't even imagine and all of that stuff. And I'll just say it wasn't 25 straight years, thank God, but it was sporadic over, over a 25-year period, but sometimes you know, three, four, five years at a time where I felt that way. And believe me, it was hell on earth. And to, I can't even believe that I lived through it. I mean, sometimes I think, how did I even survive that? It was a prison and there was no way out. Every doctor I ever visited just scratched their head. We don't know what to tell you. But listen, the Lord sustained me through that. And all through those long years, I would find myself in places of ministering to people that I knew that I no way could have ministered to at all had I not been living in the prison that I was living in. I I just knew it. And so even though part of me would say, if I had to live my life over again, I would definitely not have that part in my life that I would live over again. But another part of me says, no, I, I would have it. Because it helped me to know God better 
And it helped me to help people I could never help. And so this is the reality. Now, again, if God would have come to me and said, Brian, I want to use you. I wanted to be used by God. So if, if the Lord would have come and said, Brian, I want to use you. And I'm going to, you know, you're going to reach people and you're going to share the gospel and people are going to come to faith and, you know, all kinds of stuff are going to happen. Uh, you want to do that? Absolutely, Lord. Sign me up. I want to do it. That's what I want to do in my life. Okay, but this is how we're going to do it. I'm going to strike you down. You're going to be afflicted. You're going to be in a bed of sickness. And it's going to go on for years. Oh, no, well, Lord, I don't really need to do that stuff, I would have said. I would have said, Lord, why don't you get somebody else for that job? I'll just be happy over here with just doing a few things for you. You know, we don't need to do that. But God, of course, being God, he doesn't really ask your permission for these things. You know, I used to, when I was really young, I would preach and I would always be telling stories of faith, but they would be somebody else's story because I didn't have any of my own. And I remember one time preaching and telling some fantastic faith stories of other people and thinking to myself how stupid this sounds that I'm just telling everybody else's story. And I said, God, I need some faith stories. Okay, here you go. Into the prison house. (laughs) I can laugh about it today. but um, I mean, seriously, in the early days of this festival, there were many times. I I came one time. You know, we were in Willacombe in the early days. Phil Pachonis, many of you know Phil, my partner, who's now with the Lord. Uh, but I, I remember coming and being so sick and I got to his, his little cottage and I just laid on the floor and I said, Phil, I'm gonna sleep for three hours. I'm gonna drive back to London. I'm gonna get on a plane and leave because I cannot do this. I'm too sick. And I didn't. The Lord sustained me through it. But, but listen, I'm not here to tell you all about my problems and woes, but I'm here to tell you that I know what Paul's talking about when he talked about being in prison. And I learned from it that God is sovereign. And I learned from it that it's, it's, it's not for nothing. It is for something. God has something that he will do in you. And he has something that he will do through you. But you see, sometimes the only way to get us there is to put us in a prison of sorts. Now, my prison was what I just said. It was, it was this physical situation. But, but the prison's different for, for everybody. You might be in the prison of uh, just financial disaster. You might be in the prison of pro- poverty. You might be in, in the prison of um, just a very difficult, dark season in your life. You might be in the prison of, of unwanted thoughts or feelings, things like that. These are all prisons. And of course, the devil wants us to think that God's uh, allowed us to go to prison and he's, we've, he's locked us in there and he's abandoned us and we're never going to get out. But don't believe that. Don't believe that. Continue to trust the Lord and know that, that, that when the time is right, the, the deliverance will come. And just like Joseph, I always think of Joseph, 13 years, 17 years old 
when he's sold by his brothers. And he's 30 years old when he comes out of prison. But I always think of how Joseph, what must it have been like? And there was one, there was one moment, maybe you remember, where there's two other guys that come to prison. Pharaoh sends them there. They have dreams. Joseph interprets their dreams. They're absolutely right. And Joseph says to the one who gets freed, he says, when you go back to Pharaoh, tell him about me and get me out of here. The guy says, you bet. I'll tell him as soon as I get there. And then he got there and he forgot. And two more years passed. Two years, a long time. Two more years in prison. And Joseph didn't know anything, but Pharaoh's in his palace having dreams. And these dreams are freaking him out. He doesn't know what is going on with these dreams. And his baker says, oh, no. Uh, you know, Pharaoh's looking for somebody to interpret the dreams. Nobody can do it. The, the, the baker says, oh, I can't believe my mistake. When you, when you put me in prison, there was this young Hebrew guy there, and he knew the answer to dreams. And Pharaoh says, great, get him. Here's the point. Joseph woke up a prisoner that morning, just another day in a long 13 years, and he went to bed in a palace as the prime minister that night. God can turn your situation around in a day. He can turn it around in an hour. And listen, if he hasn't done that, it's because he has a purpose. And the best thing that all of us could do, it doesn't mean we don't have frustrations. I can't tell you how many times, that's just one trial I had. I could tell you a few more, but I can't tell you how many times my most common conversation with God throughout the day was uh, these words, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it, Lord. I don't get, I don't get why this is going on. I don't get why that's going on. I don't, I don't get why this is happening. I don't get why this isn't happening. I don't get it. So all I'm saying is, you know, God's our father. He can take a little complaining. But at a certain point, we have to stop complaining and just say, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you. Because this is real Christianity. This is what Christians do. This is what the Apostle Paul did. This is what the saints have done. And that's what we have to do today sometimes. So if you find yourself in a prison as a Christian, know this, that you are the prisoner, not of your circumstances. You're the prisoner of Jesus Christ. And through this time, God is working a deeper work in your life so that you can serve him ultimately more effectively. Now, final word, if you're not a Christian, and when I say Christian, I'm talking about a follower of Jesus, not a person who belongs to a church. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're in a different sort of prison. You're in the prison of sin. But Christ has the key to unlock that prison and to let you out. And the prison of sin is a, it's a miserable place to be. And it ends in a death sentence. And nobody wants to be there that can be set free. Jesus came to set the prisoner free. And any person who will say, Jesus, save me from this prison. It's as simple as that. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus, save me from this prison. He will save you. He will save you. Lord, thank you that you are sovereign. 
that even in the prisons of life that we find ourselves in as your people, Lord, that you are the one that we can still trust. And help us to know, Lord, that you know better than we know. And help us to persevere in faith. And Lord, we thank you that trials don't last forever. We thank you, Lord, that there is an end uh, to these things. Help us to persevere and to see that good fruit that will come in the end. And Lord, I want to pray very specifically for anyone today who is in a prison of whatever sort. They know it. And you're speaking to them through this message. Lord, would you just meet them in the way they need to be met? And Lord, either sustain them in their current situation, give them hope and peace and joy, or Lord, deliver them, pull them out. In Jesus' name, touch and minister to each one. And Lord, for those among us that are in the prison of sin and have never been set free through receiving Christ, help them to open their hearts, to cry out to you, and to receive your salvation. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. God bless you. Thank you so much.